You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Astros Baseball is brought to you by Ram Shirts. Ram Shirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Ram Shirts. Go to RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Here's your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. Joining me once again is Mike Acosta. Mike, thanks for coming on again, buddy. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. Last time you came on, we uh, we just got to the trivia part, and that's it. I mean, so, <laughs> but a lot of people enjoyed it, but I'm glad you came back. Um, actually, on the last episode, I said, I'm going to ask Mike Acosta to come on. So maybe we'll have another show Saturday, and you came on, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's always fun. You know, it's always fun. All right, so number one, how excited are you for another season of Astros baseball? <clears throat> well, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit different because it's, you know, I'm not there hands-on, you know, so it's, it's a little bit different uh, in kind of, uh, viewing how the upcoming season, I'm trying to to kind of transition to just viewing it with a more open mind rather than with a structured strategic mind that I would have if I'm actually working the season. And uh, but but you know I think it's it's exciting. There's been a lot of stuff, the, a lot of things that happened in the off season, you know, uh, with the CBA and with Carlos Correa and and some of the new talent that's that's coming up. So it's it's a new, you know, every, every spring, it's like a, you know, a new flower blooming and here we have this new season. So uh, I, I'm very curious to see how well the, the team plays this year. So I, I am looking forward to it. All right. I have a fun fact about Carlos Correa and I can either give you the number or you can try to guess it. Okay. <laughs> you want to guess or you want to give you the number? Um, let's try to guess and then let's, right. let's see where that goes. Let's make it fun for everyone. All right, so Cray is now with Minnesota, and they they posted this the other day, and I, I found it very, very interesting. But Correa has played in more postseason games than the Twins have played in their 120-year franchise history. <laughs> Do you know how many postseason games Carlos Correa played in? I believe it was... Uh, it was... Is it 72? 79. 79. Okay. All right. I lost track there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, knew, so, I knew it was somewhere in the 70s. So he's, what, 27 years old. He's played in 79 postseason games. And in Isn't the 100. Amazing? Yeah. And the 120-year franchise history of Minnesota, they played 74. Wow, that's that's incre- that is incredible uh, to to think about it. But it's even more incredible. It's just the the amount of games for the for the aged Correa is, 
to think that he has been in 79 games and in that, you know, has been three World Series. And that's for the age that he is. That uh, that just doesn't happen to a lot of guys in baseball. It just says how powerful uh, and, you know, how talented, you know, the teams that he has been on in the past, you know, 10 years or so, uh, you know, how, how good they've been. So as a fan, which one hurts worse? Losing George Springer or losing Carlos Correa? I know for me, like we've actually got to see George Springer having fun and being the energetic, you know, guy on the in the dugout for the twin. I mean, for the, the Blue Jays, but we haven't really got to see Correa with another team yet. But just as a fan, like which one do you feel like hits the heart the worst? Well, if, if I had to, so I'm going to take away everything that I've seen, right? Everything that I know about Correa, uh, any interactions, anything, whatever I've seen behind the scenes, okay? And I'm going to look at it from just the television view or what I read on Twitter or whatever else it is. And I, I really have to say that Correa is probably the bigger loss because he, if you look at him, how he carried himself on the field, you can clearly see that he was very, very comfortable in being uh, a team go-getter, a leader, you know, like something, somebody who, who really wanted to set a standard for everybody else, who, who really tried to pump up the guys around him and make them better and really kind of work as a cohesive group. And George Springer was, you know, again, I'm speaking if, as if I hadn't seen anything. George Springer's very energetic. Uh, a very very good player uh but you know you you just didn't see you know like you walk you, you know you see Correa coming up to the pitcher uh like we saw in in 2020 I think it was with uh with Fromber Valdez and and you know he gives him a little you know gives him a little he's almost like a, another coach out there on the the playing field and really kind of rallies the the guys and so he his energy right there is really something that the Houston Astros needed for, for a good long while. And because you don't see, I mean, you do see the excitement coming out of Altuve. Uh, you do see it in, in Bregman. Sometimes those guys are a little bit more stoic in their, you know, kind of the, the way they carry themselves a little bit more like the Bagwell Biggio era, but Correa was out there front and center and he was very comfortable in, in being a spokesman for the clubhouse and speaking uh, standing up for his teammates, standing up for for other people in the organization, and and that to me is something that kind of differentiates himself from George Springer. George Springer was a little bit more reserved. I wouldn't call him stoic, very energetic, and just just a guy who's just full of life and, and a tremendous player. You know, it's hard to really compare people in baseball because they all bring their unique attributes to the game. But if I if I have to say. Uh, what hurts the most is probably Correa. Yeah, so the Astros have kind of lacked that leadership. I know Altuve's been there a long time, and a lot of people don't look at him like he's been the leader of the team. But the only time I can really remember, you know, him stepping up as a as a leader, and I can't remember exactly what happened, but I think maybe Yuli Gurriel made a mistake on first base. And Lance McCullers Jr., you know, he he, he reacted to it. Yeah. And when they got, yeah. and then when they got to the dugout, he went to you know high five Altuve with his glove, and Altuve just swiped his glove away, and he was yelling at him. And I was yeah. like, whoa! Like that's the first time I've seen Altuve do that. Yeah, yeah. He's you really don't see him in the public eye, uh, kind of what you would call discipline, you know, somebody else, you know, kind of, but, but Altuve is also a very smart guy too. And he does have a lot of energy. He is a little bit more reserved, not as, you know, not as outwardly explosive as Correa. Uh, but, but yeah, definitely, you know, he, he has, he kind of sets the tone in the clubhouse. I mean, people kind of look to him uh, as to how he carries himself. And so when he speaks and if he comes up to somebody, it says a lot, especially if it's in the dugout, because usually a lot of that stuff, if, if there's going to be something that he needed to address, it's probably going to be in the clubhouse, not in the dugout. All right, we go to trivia on this next one. What team did Carlos Correa make his debut against? The uh, White Sox. 
You are correct. Yeah. <laughs> and he had a, an infield single that was reviewed. I think it was a, a, a grounder to a shortstop. I think it was it was to the left side, shortstop or third base. And it was a uh, it was it was a they had to review it. And he was he was safe on his first hit. All right. Trivia question number two. Which jersey number was the first Astros number that was retired? Oh, that was uh, Jim Umbright, number 32. Uh, he passed away of cancer. Very uh, endearing man to his clubhouse, to his teammates. Uh, and he passed away in 1964. And then on opening day, a lot of people don't realize this because it was the first opening day of the Astrodome in 1965 on April 12th. They retired Jim Umbright's number. I don't think they really had a ceremony per se. There's nothing really documented. But as of April 12th of 1965, number 32 was retired. And that was the first one. So I found this online, you know, Googling trivia, and I answered 24, and I was wrong. That's why I'm not an Astros historian. <laughs> well, I mean, 24 is, I mean, that was, that was back in 2005 when that happened. But, uh, but that, I mean, you would think that that would be, if you're talking about Jimmy Wynn and talking about guys, you know, from the early years, uh, that's a very good guess. You know, if you, if you don't know for sure, that would be a, a very good guess, even though it took a lot longer for, for his number to be retired. So I don't know how many of you guys listening got the answer to that, but when you, when you do this quiz on there, it actually tells you the percentage of people that get this wrong. 76% of people that took that quiz got it wrong. So wow. you're an elite, you're the top 25 elite trivia guy. Huh? That's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, I mean, Jim Umbright was not a well-known guy. He was a good pitcher. Uh, you know, he he had, uh, his story was pretty much, after he passed away, no one really heard about him again. Uh, they they scattered his ashes over the Astrodome construction site, you know, in, in 1964. And so that was about it. Uh, other than that, you know, you had Jimmy Wynn and, Larry Durker and Bob Aspermani, Rusty Stop, those guys uh, who who really that was the focus, you know, especially after the Astrodome was built. So I can see how a lot of people would know Jim Umbright. I was telling the kids, whenever I die, cremate me and somehow go to Minute Maid Park and dump my ashes in the dirt. And I did, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm like, I don't know how you're going to do it. Lean over the rail and chunk it in. But last season, I took a stadium tour, and I was walking around the warning track, and I was like, there you go. They just take a tour, dump me out. I'm in, I'm in the dirt. Yeah, but you got to remember, though, they, they do a lot of field work. And so if somebody was to go and do that and they emptied something on the grass, well, a lot of times grass is replaced almost yearly or every other year, some parts of it, or sometimes even during the season. And the warning track, you know, it's they smooth it out and, and it's just I think the warning track is probably a safer place than the actual field. If anybody is looking to do that. <laughs> well, well but, that's, uh, where I'm, that's where I'm going to put it. I'll yeah, tell you this, that, too. If you guys take the tour. Do not get on the grass. <laughs> they will re <laughs> they will reprimand you. Do not get on the grass. No, you can't touch the grass. That, that, that goes for any baseball stadium because there's just too much effort that they try to put into keeping the grass. I mean, you think about it too. The, the baseball fields are about 2.1, 2.2 acres of, of yard. Okay. And if you look at the outfield area at any stadium, how many players are standing in the outfield at any given moment? There's only three. And, and even the infielders, they're standing on the dirt. They're not even standing on the grass. The pitcher's not standing. The, the catcher's not standing on grass. So, you know, even during a ball game, you have nine guys on the field. There's only three of them really standing on the grass. And that's, that's a big empty area around each of those guys, too. So they, they really try to keep the grass in, in the best condition possible, you know, so it doesn't uh, affect the way the ball lands or rolls or anything like that. And also, you don't want it to look bad on TV. You can kind of see on TV – where they either, you know, the grass is getting kind of worn out because the guys stand mm -hmm. in the same spot, or you can oh, yeah. see where, they, where they've patched it up. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, that happens a lot. And, 
uh, it's tough sometimes, you know, for the grounds crew to, to kind of keep up that area because you do have guys that like to stand in their exact spot every time. And, you know, that's, it, it is what it is. And that's part of the game. And there's nothing wrong with that, but uh, you just don't want all these spots popping up all over the place because everybody's kind of randomly getting on the grass. <laughs> when I was a kid, I never understood the old men that would say, get off my grass. <laughs> But get when off you, my lawn. <laughs> yeah, get off my lawn. But when you buy a house and you, you know, put weed and feed and you're watering and you're edging and you're mowing, I don't know how this happens, but you, you're just so proud of your green grass. Sure and when the are. neighbor comes by and says, you have the beautiful lawn, it makes you feel good. Sure. I live on the corner and I'm always, you know, looking out see if somebody's stepping on the lawn you know and it's like come on dude even when people come visit us it's like why why are they on the grass yeah there's a sidewalk i'm parked, I'm parked in the <laughs> middle of the driveway why are they walk, walking in my yard get out of my yard <laughs> hmm. all Old right age so coming in <laughs> hey uh, i love my grass all right let's do this Whose number will be the next to be retired, if you had to take a guess? My, my guess is Altuve. If, yeah, I mean, if, if you had to. So the Astros Hall of Fame has kind of changed a lot of this, right? Because uh, so I don't want to give too long of an answer. But, uh, you know, when, when we established the Astros Hall of Fame, we had to address number retirements because they were, you know, retired Joe Negro, retired J.R. Richard. Uh, and, and so we were looking at it, but I also took a look at uh, baseball in general and found that the Astros had the highest disappropriate, uh, disproportionate number of people who had their number retired, who were not in the national hall of fame. And there was a direct correlation amongst almost every other team. If they had their number retired, they were a, a national hall of fame player. They were, had been inducted, um, at that time, when I started doing that research, uh, we had one. We we, we only had uh, Craig Biggio who had gone in. This is this was about, I think, uh, 2016 is when I kind of looked into this a little bit more because we were planning the Hall of Fame. So in putting forth the procedures for the Hall of Fame, we addressed it and said, okay, um, in in election, you know, this is these are the standards for election. You know, if uh, this player is on a an ineligible list with MLB, well, then they're on an ineligible list to be elected to the Astros Hall of Fame. Same thing with uh, a number retirement. And the number retirement was going to to be somebody who would be uh, in the National Hall of Fame. So if the franchise continues to abide by those new rules that we adopted back in 2000. Uh, 18. Actually, it was early 2019 when the procedures were approved. Um, and if anybody still has them in hand and has, or even thought about looking at them, then it probably would be somebody like Altuve because Altuve is certainly he has a lot of time left left to go, but he is certainly on the route to becoming a Hall of Famer, no doubt. And and so he probably would be the next guy and it would be several years from now. So you look at uh, 2005 when the Astros retired Jimmy Wynn's number. I don't think there was one after that. Right. And there's so many things that happened. Even, even I question myself sometimes. Uh, but, but, you know, if you're looking at it's 2022, it's been 17 years this summer since 24 was retired. Uh, it could be another, another 10 years on top of that before you see another Astros number retired. Uh, and again, you know, if, if somebody's going into the Hall of Fame, you have to wait five years until they're, you know, after retirement for them to go in, and then, then you do that. So, Altuve might be the the first guy to have his number retired and go into the Astros Hall of Fame all at one time, and that would be a, a very special moment uh, because that that has uh, has not happened, uh, you know, where where it timed out at the same time, and. Uh, but but if that happens in the you know years to come, I can just imagine that that would be a, a sold out day, uh, you know, a, a, a banner day for the franchise to to celebrate a guy like that. Who was the last one to get their number retired? Vigio. 
No, it was. It, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, uh, that's okay. So thanks. Yeah, okay. So no, it was. It was actually uh, Bagwell. Um, Bagwell was in '08. I'm sorry. Because I figured he he on. stopped playing first. No, so I'm I sorry. Bagwell maybe... was in '07. Uh, Bagwell was in '07. Biggio was in 2008. Because he retired in 2007. So I, I think so they're they, in order. At the ballpark, aren't they? They are. They are because Bagwell, uh, his number was retired. They're they're in the order of retirement. So if you look from left to right above the scoreboard uh, at Minute Maid Park, you see the numbers. We had a discussion about that a long, long time ago. Uh, you know, what should we put them in numerical order, or should we put them? You know, in the, in the, I, I it was I was a proponent of putting them in the order they in which they were retired because that kind of showed a progression it kind of honored honored their era uh you know and kind of showing how it was done um and that design up there actually uh i was uh, i actually sketched out what that was going to look like and then all of a sudden uh, i said hey let's let's put the number on top of a baseball with a little banner and let's put the logo because before it was very very simple It it was like a vinyl or or a magnetic thing that stuck up on the wall above the upper deck and and we were re- going to redo this and uh, you know i had we were in a marketing meeting back in uh, i can't remember i think it was 2007 i'm pretty certain it was right around that time when we were planning out what we were going to do to celebrate uh when biggio got his 3000th hit uh, i did a sketch and i started describing and one of the senior vps in the, the meeting said hey draw that out and so i i did a little sketch and you know i put the seven and put the little banner and I said, we can put these right across the scoreboard and put like half on one side, half on the other. And then I didn't hear about it for a while. And then, I don't know, a couple months later or whatever, um, the uh, director of marketing came over to me and he said, hey, I want to show you something. He goes, take a look at this. And he smiled and it was it was basically, it was that same concept. And they had uh, turned it into vector art and, and that's what we were going to do. So that look up there was something that uh, at the time was something that I suggested and it it actually went through. Where's that sketch at? Um, I don't know. I have a lot that of should my, be framed. Uh, I have a lot of my paperwork um, things that that I've had over the years. I mean, but I've had a lot of stuff like little sketches, bobbleheads that I've worked on. Uh, unit the uniform design. You know, back in uh, the 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 new one that was in, unveiled in 2016. The the sketches and drawings that I did for that. Um, those those are kind of all kind of put away in boxes. Um, I, I have to go through them again. I have several files in my home office where I have a lot of my where I've always had my personal files. Um, but when I left Minute Maid Park and I didn't have an office there anymore, I brought a lot of that stuff home, and I, it was boxed. And so I haven't really sorted through all of it because I don't have an immediate need for it. But it is protected. It is. Why don't you have an office there anymore? Well, I was laid off in. Um, uh almost a year ago so i don't have an office at the the ballpark anymore and i had a i had a uh uh a contract uh that i was working on last year but they didn't renew that contract we we're, we're kind of on a project to project basis if if they need something special then we you know we might discuss that what about the authentication stuff i don't know i'm not sure what's going on uh i've you know i've had the authenticators i've seen them and reach out to me and they, they've expressed some opinions to me, but, um, but I don't know. I, I just, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure what's going but on you, with authentication. All I can say is that. But you started that. I did. And uh, all I can say is that we had one of the top programs in baseball. And so uh, it required a lot of daily attention and, you know, there's not really anybody doing that. I think somebody else is subbing in and kind of taking on some of those duties, but they have primary duties somewhere else. And um, so I, I don't know. I can't really speak to it, but, you know, it's it's uh, what they decided to do. And and that's fine. But um, I mean, I, I know that they're still authenticating stuff, but, uh, you know, I, I always wanted the Astros to have a top notch program, like something that protected the players the team archives and also the fans, and uh, those those were my three primary goals. You know, so if we had uh, a milestone or something was happening out of the blue uh, or something rare, something unique, we were always looking out for it at the moment that it happened. So I don't know if that's going on anymore. 
you know, hopefully I put the mindset to look out for that type of stuff uh, because it's look baseball and everything. It's beyond who we are. It's beyond anybody who is working a job, you know, no matter what it is in baseball, you're, you're just a steward of that position while you're there. The, the game is bigger than anybody, right? It's, it's the, the fans, it's the, the memories, it's the action on the field. It's, it's not any one person particular who is on top, you know, who's better than all of that. So what I tried to do was, was create something that was unique for the team and make it the best thing possible and try to create something that could carry on if I ever left or if I ever moved on to something else in the organization or whatever it was, something that could be carried on. And uh, we were doing it. We got it to, like I said, a really good level. We started the authentication program. We integrated the authentication program uh, back in 2009 and then grew it from there and got a lot more detailed, a lot more specific on a daily basis. And uh, in tracking things and looking out for things, trying to be very proactive. I always, I always said that the program was almost like, like NASA, where we had contingency plans. You know, I had a contingency if a no hitter happened or if a, uh, you know, a cycle or something else that, that would pop out of a, of a game unexpectedly, because uh, you never know what you're going to get in a game. You know, it's a, it, a lot of different things can happen or, or triple play or something or whatever it is. Um, you know, we, we had plans because uh, the, the ball game itself, uh, I found the, the best analogy to authentication in a ball game was like a moving train. And with the Major League Baseball program, you can't go back in retrospect and authenticate something if you didn't plan for it ahead of time. Uh, you have to do it in the moment, and especially with baseballs or uniforms or even the, the crack bats, because uh, if you look at the field, almost like uh, the way, say, say look at it the way a, a police officer, this is why the police officers are, or uh, off-duty or retired police officers are the ones who are enlisted as the actual authenticators to work on behalf of Major League Baseball and work with the team in doing this, is you see the, the playing field almost like a crime scene, Okay. And you have a chain of custody of all the evidence, okay? And you can't break the chain of custody. Well, once something leaves and it's not there anymore, and then it reappears later, well, we don't have proof that that was the actual piece that was involved in this case, right? So we don't have the proof that this is the actual ball that was hit by this player in this particular game. It, it looks like it could come from anywhere. So you have to plan. You have to be detailed. You have to, to know uh, and kind of sense the the movement of the game and the nuances of the game. And, you know, in the seventh inning, if you see goose eggs up on the scoreboard and there's zeros and the team doesn't have any hits, well, I know a lot of people have uh, superstitions, but in in the, the thing that I, I, I have to throw all those aside, I have to anticipate that we might actually have a no hitter. And so I notify Major League Baseball, hey, you know, if you haven't, I call the, the, our main contact, hey, if you haven't seen it yet, we do have zeros across the scoreboard here. And that goes for either the Astros or the visiting team, because a no-hitter is, is more of a, a, an event that uh, will be noticed in baseball in general, not just, you know, it's not just for your, your home team. And so, uh, you know, I would plan, it's like certain things would have to happen. Okay, I want to have one authenticator on the field, we're going to collect dirt because the grounds crew is going to come out at a certain point, but then the players are going to come in. We need to make sure that their, their items are secured before they take them off and start throwing them. Into, and then, you know, those items get lost in the clubhouse and then we don't know what is what. So we have a, a we had a plan in place where uh, between myself and working with the clubhouse manager and working with the grounds crew and we would text each other and I would say, okay, we're at this, we're this, we're this, just watch out for this. And, and so everybody was like on the same page. So we would, we would be crossing these little uh, checkpoints off uh, in preparation for a no-hitter. So that way, when it actually happened, everybody knew what in what order to to do something, you know? Because it's very, you know, uh, a ball game, it's very chaotic, right? You know, there's there's a lot of celebration. There's a lot of emotion. Uh, and, and so, you know, making decisions on the fly 
become uh, a little bit more difficult because your your environment changes. Somebody may not go the same direction that you need to go to. And so that all of that type of stuff went into the authentication program. And, and, and the Astros were, were looked upon as one of the leaders in the industry for it. And, you know, we would have meetings every off season, you know, the, we would go to, um, you know, a city somewhere and all of the, the uh, uh, authentication folks would, would get together and we would have, you know, sessions and really get together and talk things out. And there were times where I got up and spoke and, and, you know, or, or major league baseball would say, Hey, uh, if you're looking to do this, go, go talk to the Astros because they do it in this really great way. And Mike has this set up and I'm not trying to toot our horn what we did, but I am very proud of the program that we put in place. There's no doubt. Like we, we really solidified ourselves as one of the leaders uh, as far as authentication programs in, in the, in major league baseball. So hopefully right. that's kind of, hopefully that's kind of continuing. I, I don't know because I um, it's not um, it's not something that, that I, you know, I'm not really connected to and, you know, so I, just, I, I do what I do, you know, so that's crazy. I, I can't but believe I, but this. I, but I know I know what's required and or at least what what I felt was required because, um, you know, nobody else was there to build it from scratch. So, you know, there is there a chance that that the team has fallen back to, a, you know, kind of a level where a level of operation kind of like some of the other teams were, you know, you know, it's kind of, you know, have because you don't have the experience there anymore, you know, with, with, and it's also relationship based too. having a good relationship with the clubhouse and even the players knowing what you're doing. And, and, you know, like I said, you're watching out for the players, you're watching out for the fans, and you're also watching out for the team. Uh, You want to make sure that if, if a player has something and over the past, you know, 15 years or or 10 years, yeah, I guess 15 years now, but, uh, players have grown up, you know, with the major league authentication program. So they, they're a lot more cognizant of getting uh, their Jersey authenticated or uh, getting a a bat or a ball or something and having somebody there that, you know, the clubhouse manager, yes, can, can kind of handle that. But there's so many things that happen in the clubhouse that, you know, you really need a person, another person to watch out for all that. Hmm. Well, that's some shocking news I didn't expect to hear. <laughs> All right, let's do this, buddy. So the Astros, <coughs> excuse me, they had, you know, their stars, Altuve and Bregman. They didn't let those guys reach free agency. They extended them. But they let Springer and Correa walk. And now, as, as far as I can see, they're going to have to deal with Tucker and Alvarez in the future. So do you think... They're going to Alex Bregman and Altuve them, or are they going to be Correa and uh, George Springers? Well, okay. So I think if you, if you look at the situation that the team was in when you had Springer, Correa, Altuve, Bregman, and they were a World Series uh, team together, that's a very, very unique situation. It has happened on other clubs uh, in the past decades ago where you had so many. So if you look at the big red machine, you know, they, they had a, a big cluster of stars. Mm-hmm. But in this day and age with the way free agency and salaries, um, the way they've escalated, the way they've blown up. And it's funny because I wrote a paper on this back when I was like in ninth grade or something. I wrote it to the commissioner of baseball uh, and I got a response back is I was talking about exponential uh, explosion of baseball salaries. You know, what is it going to take? Are you going to have a guy who's making a hundred billion dollars a year or a hundred million dollars in, you know, over the course of three years or whatever? And yes, that's what it came to, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody's making a hundred million dollars over five years and they're a good player. You kind of consider that to be a really good deal for the team. <laughs> Whereas, you know, back 20, 30 years ago, you would have thought that was totally insane. And, um, you know, it, it just uh, it was a very unique time because the, the Astros had uh, a pool of, you know, all those draft picks, you know, through, through the seasons where they were, you know, they draft Bregman. They had already drafted Springer. Uh, they, they were able to draft Correa. 
Uh, Altuve was was a very savvy signing, you know, by, by the uh, uh, by the Astros. You know, kind of picking him up. He didn't have to be drafted, but it was a very unique situation. They came together and they they went to the World Series. Well, at some point, you realize that these guys' values are going to go up so much that it's going to be a little bit tough because of the way salaries escalate and because of the expectations and. The, the way the agents kind of control the budgets or try to control the budgets of, of baseball teams, uh, you knew that it was going to be kind of tough uh, to to keep all those people. And uh, it just, um, you, you know, I think it wasn't a huge shock when I saw George Springer go away. Uh, I was a little bit more surprised, but then in the end I wasn't for my own personal uh, reasons. Uh, I wasn't overly surprised that Correa had, gone to the twins although i consider that a step down from staying with the astros because the astros to me are are a much better team than where the twins are uh but not to say that the twins can't get there but they're just not there right now so looking towards the future now you have some of these younger guys like tucker and alvarez and you know you have to to consider the team control in the first six years and uh you know if you go to arbitration or you know if you want to try to give them a a bigger contract early on and kind of head that off. And like they did with, with Alex Bregman, um, you know, the, the Astros have, have really, um, they haven't been shy to spend money, uh, but at the same time kind of have. And, and so, you know, you kind of see it with, uh, uh, with Carlos Correa, where the, the deal was five years, I think $160 million is what a lot of people were talking about. Of course, you know, baseball teams never talk about numbers. So for for certain, we can't be 100% for certain that that was the absolute contract offer. Maybe it was, maybe it isn't. But, you know, it's um, I would expect that Astros, if, if Jim Crane remains owner of the team, which I would fully expect him to do over the, the next this next decade here, um, then I think you will probably see uh, the same procedure. I mean, owners don't tend to change. Um, you know, I mean, if, if they splurge and uh, you go back to the, to Drayden McClain and when he was, he kind of did the same thing with Bagwell and Biggio. And, and, you know, there was kind of a, what felt like a nickel and dime type of thing at certain points. And then, you know, they would get, you know, almost say, Oh, Biggio is going to go to Denver. Oh, you know, now he's signing a, a uh, five-year extension or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, $85 million, you know, for Bagwell or something. So I think that Jim Crane is going to continue on the same route that he has been in trying to get his players to sign uh, long-term contracts. You know, I think, and I don't know, this is kind of, to me, it's kind of still shaking out, but I saw Correa as a guy who could really be uh, more than a superstar, uh, who could really be a cornerstone of the Houston Astros, kind of like the way Bagwell Biggio have been, or like a Nolan Ryan or something like that. Uh, he, but but the player has to to want that as well. So it all determine it's all determined on if a guy like Tucker or Alvarez uh, do they you know in the next few years do the Astros go back to the World Series? Do they win another one or two World Series? Do they win some more pennants or just even just go into the playoffs? You know, do they? become all-stars, uh, do they, you know, what are these other things that have to unfold? Uh, and then you have, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, that experience that they build in and they're solidifying themselves more to Houston and the city. And they feel a little bit more, uh, not obligation, but they, they certainly feel more allegiance to the fan base. Um, and if the team is willing to, to pay, a good amount of money, well, then they might stay. But I think that we're going to see the same trends in contracts and offers to players who are going to get to the same level that they did for Altuve or they did for Bregman. I don't see that path changing much. I, I think that Jim Crane is a, is a very uh, financially responsible type of person uh, or tries to to be that way, uh, you know. That's the way he he's run his operations and logistics, and and that's the way it's been with with the Astros so far. Uh, but he does understand that you know, in order to be successful, you do have to to spend some money. But there are also all these other wh whatever you would label them as budget constraints that you know we don't know about uh, that that he abides by, and so how that's affected by other teams and what one owner may be willing to spend versus another owner 
uh, even if that other owner is in a smaller market or maybe doesn't have as much of a, a successful team as yours, they might be willing to to shell out more money. And it, it may not be because of the reason, because of the, the tax, you know, the, the tax threshold or something. It just just may be what they're trying to, to keep themselves in and trying to be financially responsible. So hopefully Alvarez, you know, he looks like he could be a, a, a really great player for many years to come. Uh, you know, I kind of wonder about his long-term ability to stay healthy, um, you know, even as a DH, you know, if he could, I mean, but he's, I mean, the guy is just a workhorse. I mean, he's very strong, but uh, usually guys like that, you kind of wonder if, if they're going to break down, you know, in their later years. So you kind of wonder what their longevity is. And a guy like Tucker, um, you know, he, he has a, a lot of upside as well. Um, so hopefully they can keep them around. But you also don't know, too, what kind of talent you're going to be able to develop in the meantime. And that's always one of the things that uh, you have to balance. You know, who do you have on your team that you might want to keep long term? But then who do you also have? Hey, this guy is actually going to be ready. And we're actually we're going to be able to set our uh, our timeline back a little bit. It's going to get younger, you know, whereas Tucker or Alvarez might, you know, and I'm talking I'm talking about now, but I'm talking about in a, in a couple of seasons or more where their timeline is a little bit older, but now you have, hey, somebody we just, we were able to get or somebody younger who we're able to trade for. Uh, you, you just don't know how that's going to affect it. And, and so uh, offering a big contract to somebody at the wrong time uh, might handicap a franchise in, in that fashion, if that makes any type of sense. Uh, it's, yeah. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts in, in baseball. You can't just say, um, I'm going to lock up this guy and he's our guy for the next 10 years uh, because your opportunities might change. You know, it, it might, that guy might get hurt or he might uh, you're with contracts. You're always gambling on the future. You're gambling on the unknown. You're saying, okay, I'm going to commit $300 million to this guy for, for nine years or eight years, whatever it is. And the guy could get hurt. And, you know, then he misses, you know, uh, uh, you know, a year or some significant time or can't play in the playoffs and you just never know what's going to happen. So as an owner, you have to keep your options open and you need a good general manager there to really guide your way through it and, and help make the decisions that are the, the best investments for the for the franchise. I actually agree with the way the Astros do things, because, I mean, as good as Carlos Correa is and as you know, as much of a leader he is, you know, his season last year was so big and his recent surge in leadership, people are endeared to him. But before that, people talk negative about Correa, you know, three years in a row, he got hurt. And then when he hurt his yeah. rib, getting the massage, I yeah. mean, he was the butt of a lot of jokes. And yeah. if you go before 2020, and someone's like, yeah, we're going to offer Correa a 10-year, $300 million deal. They would think you're nuts. But now yeah. after next, after 2021, everybody's like, sign him. You have the yeah. money. Yeah. But for me, it's like, okay. I mean, they're, they're willing to give him six years. But you give a guy 10, he's going to be 37 years old. He has a yeah. history of being hurt. It's not a smart thing. It's not a smart move. No, and, and and like I said, you you cannot predict who you're going to have in your system or who you can get. Right now, there's there's a 14 or 15 year old kid out there that in the next six or seven years is going to be a stud in Major League Baseball. He just hasn't emerged yet, and so you don't know where that's going to come from. You don't know what team that's going to hit. It could be your team. It could be somewhere else. You just have to keep your options open. You know that for a, a major league club, you need to have a certain amount of health. You need to have a certain, uh, you know, kind of an age range, you know, to, to keep to keep them uh, at the top of their game. Uh, and you need a proper amount of experience as well. And then you also need people who can make good decisions as well. Uh, and, and that, like I said, it's all in a state of, uh, you know, flux. It, it just... It's just a, a lot of moving parts, and it's not an easy task to to run a baseball team because uh, baseball has so many games, and baseball is every day, and and people are attached to it, and 
you know, it's, it's for, you know, seven solid months. And for some teams, it's, you know, eight or even nine months when you go include all the way through the end of the World Series from start at the beginning of spring training. It's, uh, it's every day. So it's not every other day. It's not every couple of days. It's not once a week, you know, like basketball or, or football. Uh, you, if a guy goes down in baseball, he's going to be down for, for a specific amount of time, 10 days or more. Uh, that's, that really hurts you. You know, that, that really does. Let's switch gears here, buddy. Are you a Houston Cougar guy? I am a little bit. Um, I actually went to U of H, uh, but I, you know, I haven't, uh, uh, and I, I've gone to the basketball games, uh, but I've, here, this is going to sound terrible. Uh, you know, baseball <laughs> really has dictated how I live for a very long time. Uh, you know, every day in and out has been uh, Houston Astros and Houston Astros. And so, you know, uh, I haven't had a lot of time to really spend on, on other uh, sports and teams because I, I get so much energy uh, dedicated to just baseball. And so, uh, you know, I love watching the, the games. You know, the, the games over at the Fertitta Center have been very exciting, and uh, I really liked it. And I watched a couple of the games last year. I haven't seen anything this year, uh, but uh, but I am a U of H guy, and my daughter's about to graduate from U of H in May, so we are a U of H household. But um, it's just been uh, the Astros have taken a lot of my my lifestyle, you know. Yeah. Well, they're here in San Antonio playing for a spot in the Final Four today. I know that, and and I, I wish, I hope they go all the way. And I, I know last year they got into the Final Four. I hope this year uh, they go and take it and win it all, and it, it would just be great. It really would be because uh, Kelvin Sampson has a, a great program. He's a great leader. Uh, I've watched him in the games, and it's it's very uh, endearing to to see a guy who has a lot of passion like that and really rally his players. And I think the you know, of course, in, in in college basketball, just like anything else, you have guys that are they're they're they you have some mainstays, but you have changeover every year in college basketball, and so it's a it's a tough uh, it, it's a tough thing to to really balance and to keep somebody on top, uh, you know, a, a program on top for for a good amount of time. So it's I'm really proud of what they're doing, and um, you know, hopefully they win it all. Yeah, they also have a big Cinderella story going on in basketball. St. Peter's is the 15 seed. I think they beat Kentucky. They won yesterday. So I think if they either won two days ago or they're the Peacocks. And I think they're one game away from making the Final Four as well. And that's the only time I even keep up or watch college basketball at all because, yeah. of, because of the one and done type thing that it's turned into i I don't i don't know how anybody can be a college basketball fan i mean besides i don't know i mean how how you can't you can't get feelings or you can't you know i don't know how to i don't know how to describe it you know because the team's different every year yeah 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 i don't see how they can be fans yeah yeah i think i think it's it's more institutional with with college fans uh, and I know there's a lot of people who feel that college sports are, are a lot better. Uh, they, there's a feeling that players in, in, on collegiate level are playing with more passion than they see, you know, with the pros. And, and a lot of people would say, uh, it's, I hear that a lot in football and in basketball. Uh, but we also have to consider, too, that with the, the pro sports is that a lot of the guys that are playing on those teams and, and in baseball, this is very much very, very true. Uh, they've been studs. And you're seeing a bunch of studs and the guys who are not so much a stud, they were the stud wherever they came from. And so yeah. the, the game doesn't look as fast and energetic because you do have in college, you have guys who are going to play. There's a few guys who are going to play in pro sports and they're going to go on and, you know, they want to move on in their career and they want to, they want to get the big contracts and they want to make some, some good money. Right. Uh, but you have a lot of guys who aren't going to play those sports for, past the time that they're in college and so that it becomes more institutional the the you know if you are somebody who went to u of h or you you know you went to texas a&m or ut or you know whatever it is of texas tech you have allegiance to that school because uh, you went there or your dad went there your mom went there it's in your family 
And so it, it's kind of, a, it's an institutional type of thing, an institutional type of sport. And, and so even though the players change uh, from, from year to year and there's a lot of turnover, uh, you have that allegiance. At least that's, that's what I've seen. Because I have some friends who are, who are uh, tremendously uh, big, big fans of, of college. I have some friends who are really, obvious, go shocker, obviously uh, for, for Texas A&M, UT, and U of H uh, around it in my area. So, but, I, but that's kind of the common denominator that I think it is, is uh, people who have a, an institutional connection to, to that. And I think that, that just kind of uh, carries on throughout the country too. Did you happen to see that uh, video of that squeeze play? It was like a squeeze play walk-off. Well, the guy no. actually, just, he just stole, th- it wasn't even a squeeze play. It, I think it was Tech against Texas. Uh, Tech had a guy on third. He's leaning off, he's leaning, uh, off base, getting his lead. The pitcher goes into his windup and is just looking down at the ground. And I guess the, the runner has been noticing this. But, you know, he's looking at the ground. He just takes off and slides. Game over. He stole huh. third, game over. Like, huh. how crazy is that to lose a game that way? I didn't see that. That's, that is crazy. But no, I, I'll, I didn't see I'll that. I'll find the video and I'll tag you. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'd so love to see, see it. it. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Well, that's it, Mike. I appreciate well, cool. you coming on. It's always super fun to talk to you. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's always fun. And uh, anytime, you know, uh, I really appreciate the, the conversation. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. And for me and Mike, I don't don't even know what I'm saying. All right, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.